Amen. Let's pray. Lord, would you give us faith to be strong, strength to be faithful. We do confess uh, this morning that life uh, is fleeting, it's frail, and can at times be very hard. So we ask for your grace uh, to walk in the ways that you would call us to walk. We thank you, God, that you love us with the love of Christ, the love that you have for your Son, and uh, that we as your children can rest in that love. And so, God, we thank you for that this morning. Pray as we turn our hearts towards your word that you would give us eyes, the eyes of faith to see, uh, ears of faith to hear your promises, and hearts to believe in the things that you have said and spoken to us. So, God, uh, now um, please bless, Lord, we pray, the preaching of your word. In your son's name, amen. Well, good morning. We've been working our way uh, this July through a sermon series on the life of David, the first great king of Israel. And uh, the scriptures, as we've seen, speak of David as a man after God's own heart. Of course, that's something that every earnest believer wants said of them as well. And along the way, we've looked at various episodes in David's life. And we've seen that David was by no means a perfect man, but he was a man of faith, a man who kept believing in the promises of God despite the failures of those around him, and perhaps even more importantly, despite his own failures. And given the moment in which we find ourselves as a church family, and as we close out our sermon series on the life of David, I thought it appropriate to look not at another episode in David's life, as we had originally planned when we crafted the sermon series, but instead to look at one of David's most famous songs. David, many of us know, was a songwriter and a composer of Hebrew poetry. Many of his poems were contained in the book of Psalms in the Bible, a sort of hymn book for the Jewish people. And David wrote many of the psalms that are contained in the book of Psalms, and he wrote these all throughout his life, and they speak of the joys and the triumphs, but also of the sorrows and the difficulties of life. And there are certain seasons in life when the comfort of God in the midst of grief is more needed than other times. Many of us are in that season at present. For many of us this morning, even if we're not perhaps touched as directly by Jillian's death, her passing has pressed upon old wounds and pains that perhaps we have carried around with us for years, dark places that have not fully healed old hurts. Sorrow at one point or another in our lives will threaten to overwhelm us, it will cover over us like a thick fog, It'll soak into us like water into a sponge. And if not grieved in hope, that sorrow can turn to black despair. Or we can try sometimes to quarantine it in some dark part of our heart to bury it there and not fully grieve or deal with it, but it remains ever a source in our life of unhealed pain. 
In David's Psalms, we see that David knew what it was to grieve, and he knew what it was to have hope in the midst of grief. And he knew above all the love and the mercy of God. And David's confidence in God's love is what I have needed this week. Perhaps it's what you have needed as well. And at some point or another before the end, it's what all of us needs. So today we turn our heart to Psalm 23 to be reminded with God's help that God's presence and God's love is with us through every season of life. So let's turn to Psalm 23 page 458 in your pew Bible if you didn't bring it with you, Uh, but page 458, uh, Psalm 23. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. You may be seated. I'm make a brief word uh, about the Psalms and about David's Psalms in particular as we begin to look at this uh, particular psalm. Many of the psalms that David wrote were written about very specific occasions in his life. Psalm 18, for instance, he wrote about when he experienced the joy uh, when God delivered him from the hand of Saul, who had been persecuting him. Psalm 3, he wrote about the pain he felt when he was forced to flee from Absalom. As Pastor Joey Uh, gave us that episode in David's life, Absalom, his rebellious son. In Psalm 51, he wrote about the shame and the sorrow he felt in the matter of Uriah and Bathsheba. And so there are many psalms all throughout uh, the psalms and all throughout David's psalms in particular, which are written very particular to occasions in his life. And it's very interesting to read those psalms as we read about the episodes. It's like looking into David's heart, into his journal almost, about how he's experiencing and processing those events. But in some of his psalms, David takes a step back and he provides a bird's eye view of all of life. He offers us a whole framework for thinking about life, about God, and about who we are in relation to God. So as David steps back and he thinks about all the episodes of his life, all the ups and the downs, the the triumphs, the sorrows, the joys, the griefs, and he writes psalms that, that capture all aspects of life. And Psalm 23 is one of those psalms. We don't have any direction from the psalm, the book of Psalms, as to when it was written, so we don't know exactly. But my own sense in reading David's psalms and reading the life of David is that was written towards the end of his life, or at least it was written at a point of maturity. It's his mature reflection on what it means to walk with God in faith through every episode of life, 
to walk with God in the good and to walk with God in the bad, to walk with God in the joyful and the sorrowful, the happy and the grievous. And throughout Psalm 23, David uses the metaphor of a shepherd to describe his relationship with the Lord. As we saw at the very first week of our sermon series, David began his life as a shepherd, living in the obscure Judean town of Bethlehem, the youngest of seven brothers, and tending his father's flock. So when he speaks of God being a shepherd, he's grabbing a metaphor that is very close to hand and one that he fully understands when he uses it. And here he describes himself as a sheep resting in the care of the benevolent shepherd. And the metaphor of the Lord as shepherd has a, has a poignant beauty to it. David was a king, and he knew well that a king commands. A Lord gives instructions and expects to be feared and obeyed. But in the ancient world, in, in, in Israel, a shepherd led his sheep not through compulsion or force, but through the simple sound of his voice. David, as a shepherd, did not lead his flocks when he was tending sheep from behind like one would drive cattle. Cattle, you have to come behind them and corral them and coerce them into going places that they don't want to go. But sheep are different. The way that David would have led his sheep, the way that sheep are still led in that part of the world today is through the voice of the shepherd. The shepherd doesn't walk from behind forcing compulsory obedience, but rather the shepherd walks out in front of his sheep. And the sheep come to know the voice of the shepherd and to trust his voice and to follow where the voice leads them. So the shepherd leads his sheep by walking in front, calling gently to them. And there's a tenderness in the shepherd-sheep relationship that David draws upon as he reflects upon his relationship with the Lord. God is his good shepherd, and David is his little lamb that the shepherd leads through his voice, calling to David, and David follows. And the shepherd leads, David said, in a way that provides for all of David's needs. David is not at want. He lacks for nothing with God as his shepherd. And God leads him to green pastures and beside quiet waters, and he restores David's soul and leads him in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This term righteousness in the English language, it tends to conjure up ideas of morality or adherence to a moral code, and it does have that meaning, but throughout the Psalms, uh, and particularly in the ways that David uses it with reference to God's righteousness, or paths of righteousness. It has the idea of God's covenant faithfulness with his people. God has made promises to David. God has made promises to the nation of Israel. And so for God to be righteous to David means that God will stand by and keep his word of covenant faithfulness to David. So here God leads David into paths of covenant faithfulness because his name is at stake. God has made these promises to David, and he will see it through to the end. And how nice it would be if all of life and the psalm reflecting all of life ended at verse 3. But it doesn't. 
How wonderful of green pastures and quiet waters and paths of covenant faithfulness for all there ever was to life. But as David well knew, and as we all know today, such is not the case. God doesn't just lead us beside quiet waters and into green pastures. He leads us into the shadowed valley as well. We read verse 4, and as we read it, we know that David has not left behind the shepherd metaphor. David is not walking through the shadowed valley because he is lost. He is not walking through the shadowed valley because he has wandered from the flock or because he has been left alone but because God, his shepherd, has led, them, led him there, just as sure as God led him to the green pastures and the quiet waters. And David, having gone through seasons of life of great trial, many of which we've already encountered in our sermon series this month, David could say, I will have no fear when I walk through the valley of deep shadow. He had gone through the valleys and he had come out the other side. And in the darkness of the valley, he had known the comfort of the shepherd's presence. His fears had been put to rest by the Lord's staff and rod. And he had emerged again from the darkness out onto the green fields, the blue sky, the golden sun. And in verse 5, he speaks of being brought to a seat at the banqueting table of the Lord chosen as God's anointed victorious over his enemies. And then in verse 6, I think we come to a truth that I believe lies beneath everything that he has said thus far in the psalm. Through it all, through all of life, the green pastures and the shadowed valleys, he says the goodness and the mercy of the Lord follows after him all of his days. This Hebrew term that's translated here as mercy is the Hebrew term that speaks of God's covenant love. You can see that if you have the Pew Bible, you can look at the little note down at the bottom of the page. Sometimes there's a a Hebrew term that it's hard to find just one English word that captures the whole of it. And, And this is one of those terms. This Hebrew term speaks of God's covenant steadfast love for his people. It's the one term beyond all others in the Hebrew language that captures God's heart for his people. It speaks of God's mercy, his grace, his kindness, his faithfulness, his affection, his jealousy for his people, his relentless love, all rolled up into one. That's what this word contains. And David says that this relentless, steadfast, unfailing love follows after him all of his days. But this love doesn't simply follow behind, hovering in the rear guard. David's expression is a bit more intense than that. It's a, it's a bit more passionate. The Hebrew term that David uses here for follow is used primarily, almost exclusively, in the Hebrew Bible and certainly within respect to David's narrative to describe the pursuit of an enemy. Most often it's used to describe the pursuit of an enemy during battle when one uh, force has won the day and the enemy is fleeing and then as the enemy flees you gather your forces together and you pursue the enemy. And it's a view that David has here close hand. He knows what it is to be pursued by enemies. David when he was early on in his 
uh, ministry and his leadership in Saul's kingdom became very popular and so much so that he aroused King Saul's jealousy. And so King Saul began to persecute David and David had to flee for his life. And Saul pursued David. It's the word that we find there. And, and David fled from King Saul. So whether it was King Saul, whether it was the Philistines, or whether it was even his own son, Absalom, as we saw last week, he knew what it was to flee before a devouring foe, before a pursuer that sought relentlessly to destroy him. And here in verse 6, he describes the steadfast love of God in the same terms, just as Saul pursued David to kill him. The steadfast love of God has pursued David to bless him. And just as the Philistines chased after David to destroy him, the mercy of God has pursued David to protect him. And just as Absalom pursued David to steal his throne, the covenant faithfulness of God has pursued David to give him the kingdom. The voice of the shepherd, David said, has led him all the way from the green pastures through the shadowed valley to the banqueting table in the house of the Lord. And the steadfast love of God has followed behind all the while, unflinchingly determined to see God's promises through to the very end. And what is true for David as he writes these words in the psalm, reflecting on his relationship with the Lord throughout his life, is true for all of God's children, true for you and I who are led by Christ, the Good Shepherd. David's son, Solomon, went on to write that each heart knows its own bitterness and that each heart knows its own joy. Each of us has our own green pastures, our own quiet waters, and each of us has our own shadowed valley. And however much we might have dear friends or loved ones who enter into the depths of our experience we are ultimately the ones who know the darkness of our own hearts most intimately. What is your shadowed valley this morning? Your valley of deep darkness. What path of sorrow and grief is the Lord calling you to walk upon? Some shadowed valleys are thrust upon us, whether we choose them or not. Some of you are in that valley right now perhaps have been for a long season of life. Perhaps you went to sleep one night in the green pastures and woke up the next morning in the shadowed valley. You did not follow the Lord there, it seemed. You just woke up there. But at other times, the shadowed valley looms before us in imposing, descending darkness. The Lord has brought us to the edge of this valley, and he himself has entered into the darkness, and we can no longer see him, but his voice calls to us to follow him. Is there a painful relationship, perhaps, that the Lord is calling you to embrace? An old wound that he is calling you to revisit, that he wants to heal? An act of love or sacrifice that seems beyond your capacity? Perhaps he is asking you to give up something that you hold dear, something that stands in the way of true happiness and the life that can only be found in him. 
Perhaps the valley to which the Lord calls you is the pain of the repentance that will be required if you are to make amends for the wrong that you have done. Perhaps wrongs that you have yet to confess. God does not call us needlessly into the valley. Don't turn away. Don't lose your confidence in his wisdom and in his goodness. It is precisely here that faith must see beyond the paths that God calls us to walk. It is easy to have faith, of course, when we are in the green pastures. It's easy to believe when we are beside the quiet waters. It's much harder to have faith when our Lord leads us into the darkness. And we are, all of us, afraid of the dark. We do not enter the shadowed valley willingly or easily, but Christ, our good shepherd, goes before us, leading us in the ways that he knows best. He leads us on in love for our good, even when we can no longer see through the darkness and when all we have left is faith for sight. And as the darkness descends, God's goodness and steadfast love pursues us all the while, refusing to let off the chase. It will not be dissuaded by hunger or thirst or the coming night. It will not yield from exhaustion or an inability to find the trail. The love of God cannot be outrun, outsmarted, or outlasted. It does not turn to the right or to the left but it comes steadily ever on. And when we walk through the shadowed valley, as we all must at some point in our life before the end, do not be afraid. The voice that calls us on is the voice of one who has already walked the valley's deepest and darkest paths. He has confronted its every terror And he has won through to the other side. He knows what he's about. We can and we must trust him. And the footfalls that we hear behind us echoing in the dark are no occasion for fear. It is the love of God pursuing us, coming after us. So be renewed in your faith this morning and take fresh hope in the Lord. God loves us. And he will lead us through the valley to the other side. So don't give up and don't lose heart. Walk in faithful obedience in spite of the pain, in spite of the fear. The Apostle Paul says that three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But he says that the greatest of these is love. This is because faith will on the last day at last give way to sight and hope will finally be realized in the day of Christ. But the love of God is forever. All things in Christ are oriented towards God's steadfast love and somehow in ways that stretch beyond our human understanding, the love of God is the beginning the middle, and the end of all things. Love is the voice that leads us on. It is the mercy that pursues us all of our days. And it is the home that waits us at the journey's end. Have faith in that love. Place your hope in that love. 
It will not fail you, and it will not let you go. Father, thank you that you have given us Christ as the sure and certain hope, the anchor for our soul that pierces the veil and that you hold fast. God, thank you that you lead us to green pastures. Thank you that you lead us beside quiet waters. And God, thank you for the severe mercies in our life that lead us through the shadowed valleys, down into the depths, and back out the other side. God, we want to trust you. We want to believe that your ways are the best ways. So give us faith for that, we pray, Lord. Give us faith to walk in trusting obedience. God, I pray for those that are in the valley right now that did not choose it, are not even sure how they got there, but are experiencing the terrors and fears of the valley. Be present to them, Lord. Remind them of your voice. May they hear it. Remind them of your love coming after and your promises, Lord, where you lead them. And Lord, I pray for those who stand on the edge of the valley this morning. They can hear your voice from within calling them to follow you down into the depths and they are afraid. And God, I pray that you would give them confidence in who you are as a shepherd that loves them, that cares for them, that does not call them into the valley to destroy, but to bless. So God, give us faithful obedience to trust your wisdom and your purposes in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name, our good shepherd, amen.